Welcome to the Postcard Academy. Each week on this travel show, I talk to people who've packed up everything to start a new adventure in another part of the world. You'll learn how they did it and get the inside scoop on finding the best food, nightlife, and cultural experiences in the most interesting places around the globe. I'm your host, Sarah Megatel, an American who spent the last seven years living and working abroad in Italy and the UK. This series is meant to help you get the most out of every vacation and to inspire you to pack your bags and set off on the journey of a lifetime. Today, I'm speaking to one of my favorite travel experts, Crystal Dyer. When she's not helping brands with their Instagram strategy, she's traveling the world full time. This episode is jam-packed with excellent advice from Crystal on how to see the world for less money. We cover how to score insanely cheap flights, luxury travel deals, life-changing volunteer opportunities, and so much more. I will link to all of Crystal's suggestions on postcardacademy.co, so don't worry about writing everything down. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Crystal. So welcome, Crystal, my favorite solo traveler, vegetarian Leo. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Sarah. Now, you have so many really great travel tips and just ways to travel well, but spend less money. Before we jump into that, I would love to hear a little bit more about your travel story. Now, you're from the Caribbean, so I guess let's start from the beginning. Okay, so I was born in Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean, and my parents decided to move the whole family to Australia when I was about 13. So at that time, we had two other aunts that were living there. So we had a, a small little family group living in Australia. It was, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but it's uh, where we live in Australia in Brisbane. It has great weather. The winters aren't too cold. So it was, it was a good fit for us. And travel-wise, when I was 18, I decided I wanted to start solo traveling. So I went to South America for a year. And that was my very first trip. And after that, I just tried to travel as much as I could. And so you just moved to Canada, I believe. Why did you make the move to Canada? Well, I needed a better base for my traveling. Over the last uh, two and a half years, I've been traveling full time. And it's been difficult for me to to have all of my stuff with me. So all of my camera equipment, um, think about winter clothes and summer clothes. So I started off as this great carry-on only traveler, but I've turned into this, you know, I have a giant backpack that I can barely carry. So I wanted to find a base that was easier to get flights from. Toronto was a good option because I have some family here as well. They have relatively okay weather um, and it has a similar culture to Australia. So it sounds like you're on the road a lot, um, traveling, living the dream. I would love to kick off with some of your top travel tips on flights, um, specifically error fares. You recently had a really good blog post on that. What's an error fare? So an error fare is basically a pricing mistake by the airline or sometimes by the travel agency. So it can be computer error, but often it's mostly just human error. So it could just be someone who's forgotten to put a zero in. So instead of a $1,000 flight, it's $100. Um, so someone, some lucky person will stumble on the fare and they'll share it with 
the rest of the internet, and then we get to take advantage of it. I think sometimes we hear about these mistakes in the media, but like way after the fact, like when we can take advantage of them. So how how can we like clue us in as to how we can take advantage of error fairs? What do we need to do? So I have three rules that I live by with air affairs. And I'm a little bit extreme with my flights because I do travel a lot. So I try and take advantage of any sail fares as they come up. And if I can get an air affair that's bit, like starts off where I am and going to somewhere that I actually want to go, then I want to make sure that I get on it. So my three tips are, one, set up some sort of alert so you get notified of the fair as it's happening. Like you mentioned you might hear about it, you know, three or four days later, and by then it's too late. So I suggest um, a website called Secret Flying or Travel Pirate, Travel Pirates, and you can set up a notification with them. Or on my website, on the post that you mentioned, I've detailed how you can be extreme like me and get an alert through a website called If This Then That, and you'll basically get notified as soon as they post about the air affair, so within minutes. Uh, the second step is to actually know your schedule. So if you're working full-time or part-time, um, have a good understanding of how you are able to request leave, if it's something that you can be flexible about. So if you can say to your boss, okay, I need this week specific week, and they're going to be okay with that. Or if you can only have leave over a certain period of time. So maybe if you're a teacher, you can only work, you can only leave over school break. Um, so understand your schedule. And also if you have to travel with someone else, so if, you, if you're not into solo traveling, um, how flexible is your partner's schedule or your friend's schedule as well? So can you book on their behalf? Will you feel comfortable doing that? And then the third thing is to not hesitate. Um, air affairs can last. I've seen some last for as little as half an hour. A recent one that I actually missed out on to Peru, which I was very upset about because I took too long trying to decide, do I want to go? I've already been there. Um, so I hesitated and I missed out on it. Sometimes they can last longer. I've seen some last up to a day. There's one on right now and it's going into its sixth hour, but, um, usually it's within an hour. Okay. So don't, don't hesitate. I love this. Um, I think of it as sort of like travel roulette because there's so many places I want to go to or to return to. Uh, sometimes I'm in, I feel like travel paralysis where I'm like, where should I go next? And this <laughs> sort of like forces you to just pick a pick a great place. Yeah, it's true. Like 10 years ago, when I started traveling, it was a completely different world. You, you would have to do so much research and, you know, you would have to figure out exactly where you wanted to go and then start looking at flights. But now everything's so accessible. You could really just, you know, choose a place, go there and you'll have a great time. And there'll be so much information on the internet that you don't really need to worry about it. Yeah, we're so lucky. Kids these days, they don't know what it's like before traveling <laughs> with like mobile phones. <laughs> let's, you know, just, let's go book and that's it. Um, exactly. So when you're not taking advantage of an error fare, how do you go about finding uh, affordable flights? So if I know I want to go to a specific place, um, my go-to websites are Google Flights is actually really good and it's embedded into Google. Um, sometimes you might see it, you might Google um, maybe Toronto to New York and the Google flights app will pop up as part of the search results. Um, also I use Momondo and Kiwi.com. So those are three really great, um, search engines just for flights and they'll give you an idea of how much it can cost you to travel somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely like Google flights. I also check out Skyscanner a lot, um, when I'm traveling around Europe. 
Yeah, Skyscan is a good one for Europe. Um, so those are some great websites for flights. When it comes to like getting on the ground once you're somewhere, how do you go about finding train travel, bus travel? So once I, I'm very spontaneous once I get somewhere. Um, I, if I know I need to go somewhere, I love Rome to Rio. Their website and app is really good. And it actually gives you a breakdown of how much each specific thing would cost. So like it would say, if you caught a train, it would cost you a hundred. If you caught a bus, it might cost you 50. Um, and it also gives you rental car prices. So sometimes I've surprised myself and seen that to rent a car is cheaper than catching public transport. So, um, Rome to Rio is a really good option for you. And then what about accommodation? Because when you talk about like surprises like that, I love Airbnb. I usually get an apartment when I travel somewhere, but I've realized that actually hotels are cheaper than Airbnb sometimes, depending on where you go. So what are your favorite ways to research um, accommodation? So yeah, when Airbnb first started, they were always the cheapest option, but I think They've kind of caught on to the value that they provide where you, you know, in a hotel, you get this small room and, you know, you've got the bathroom and sometimes they have some small kitchen facilities, but that's it. Um, with Airbnb, you can have a whole apartment, like you mentioned, um, and it's, it's so much better value. And that's why they're charging more. But for me, I TripAdvisor is a big resource of mine. It's old school, but I love it because I love reading reviews and I love um, being able to understand what I'm getting myself into. So checking both hotels and regular B&Bs, and then also comparing it to what I can get as an Airbnb. And what site do you usually book book through? Uh, I don't have a preference. Usually it's just whoever is giving me the cheapest deal, but I do love Expedia because they have a point system. And I've, I've often found myself getting some free nights through them. Um, and also booking.com seems to be often to be the cheapest. And I know that you've stayed in a lot of hostels. You're a big hostel proponent. What advice would you give to somebody who is thinking about a hostel but has never done it, might be a little bit scared about it? Uh, so with hostels, I'm, I'm probably starting to age out of hostels now. Okay. I still, I still love them. And I've, I, I'm, my trip to Paris in November is going to be in a hostel. Um, because I think that they, they can actually give you things that a hotel or an Airbnb can't give you. If you're traveling on your own and you do still want to meet people, hostels are often your best option because they will, um, they'll usually have a common room where everyone gathers maybe to read a book or to watch movies. And that way you can meet people. Most of the good hostels will have events on. So maybe they'll have a free walking tour. And on that walking tour, you can meet other travelers or they'll have a happy hour where they'll put on some drinks for people. So that sort of stuff you can't really get anywhere else besides a hostel. Um, I've started, I still sleep in dorms sometimes, but another option with a hostel, if you're not completely comfortable with sleeping in a room full of strangers, is to try a private room. So the costs are still a little bit cheaper than staying in a hotel, but then you get the benefits of a hostel. And because I'm going to Paris, I know it's going to be super expensive. So um, I can save by cooking in the hostel kitchen. So that's another great reason for staying in a hostel. If you're feeling a little bit anxious about it, I would just say that you the best thing to do is to research the right hostel for you. So if you know that you like to get up early in the morning, and you want to go explore the city, um, then 
you should stay away from what's called a party hostel where they usually have a bar on site. Um, people are going to be up until two in the morning. Uh, if you are into more, if you're more of an eco person, you want to get more of a, a, the vibe from people who are like you and they appreciate more sustainable practices, then there's hostels for people like you as well. So people who they, they use cleaning products that you care about. Um, I've even stayed in a vegan hostel where people weren't allowed to bring in any meat. So there's the important thing is to find the right hostel for you and then you'll feel more comfortable. That is really great advice. Um, how can somebody go about finding finding out this information? So uh, Hostel World is a dedicated search engine for finding hostels. That's probably the first place I'd look. They also have a review system that's built in. That's actually, actually better than TripAdvisor because you can't review there unless you stayed at the place. So you know you're getting actual reviews from real people. And there's a few websites that I really love. There's one called um, The Hostel Girl, and it's another travel blogger, and she just blogs about great hostels that she stays at. And she has really good tips for staying in hostels, how to stay safe uh, if you're a solo female. So I, I really love her website. It's, it's very targeted, so you need to want to stay at hostels to read it. But I definitely rec- recommend checking her out. Okay, great advice. And I think that there are certain things that you need to pack when you're staying in a hostel as opposed to a hotel. What are some items that you would say don't forget if you're going to go hostel traveling? So uh, my very first thing that I would take is some earplugs. You, If you're staying in a dorm or even in a private room, and I mentioned that some of them have bars on site, um, you might need something to block out the noise. Earplugs are great. I carry earplugs with me everywhere, you know, even on an airplane or wherever I might be if I need to catch some sleep. Um, the second thing would probably be an eye mask. Those are also good. There's, if you're staying in a dorm, there's a general rule that the last person in bed turns the light off unless they have an official lights off policy. And that could be at midnight and maybe you want to go to bed at 9 p.m., which sometimes I feel like doing. Um, then an eye mask is great because you're just in your own world and it doesn't matter what time they turn the lights off. Um, so those are probably the two biggest suggestions. Okay. Um, you mentioned that your first solo trip was when you were 18 and I think that was a volunteer, a volunteer trip, which is another great way to see the world in a, in a more affordable way. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about your volunteer experience? Yeah. Um, so my first experience volunteering abroad was, it was interesting. It was, it was a little bit of a disaster at first. Um, I think in the first two weeks, I def, there were definitely thoughts that I wanted to, to go back home or just, just to leave the place. Um, what happened was I knew I wanted to go to South America and I thought by volunteering, it would be a good opportunity for me to a get some, uh, embedded friends. So other people were volunteering as well and more of a support system where I'm located. So, you know, I'm not just going at 18 years old into Ecuador and South America. And this was 12 years ago. So it was a, kind of a different place back then. Uh, what happened was I found this place. They had great reviews. But when I got there, I learned that the reviews were all for their branch in Peru. And I had signed up for their branch in Quito, Ecuador, which had only just opened. I was the second volunteer. And when I got to the house, the head volunteer, the only other volunteer, um, explained the situation to me. We were going to start up the whole organization in Quito. 
Um, we were sleeping in on mattresses in this floor that had no other furniture. We didn't have a fridge or anything like that. We had to eat out every day. Um, so the beginning was very hard. I, my Spanish was very limited. I studied for about two months before I left, which I thought would be sufficient, but I didn't realize that I'd be negotiating with contractors and trying to convince uh, parents to let their, their kids come to our school. Uh, the concept was us offering an alternative for kids who had to work on the streets, either begging or selling products, um, and getting them to at least do half a day of school. So we offered half-day programs so they could still get credits so they could graduate, which is great, and I love the work, but it was a lot more work than I signed up for. In the end, I loved it. I made a lot of friends. I did some good, and I learned some crazy Spanish words that I never would have learned. So it was a good experience. That sounds like a great experience. So from that experience, and I think you've done other volunteering since then, what would you say for people to look out for if they wanted to sign up for volunteering abroad, like signs of a, of a good organization and then maybe some red flags for something that might be a bit more dodgy? So since I've been traveling more and doing more volunteer opportunities, I've realized that a lot of people who haven't traveled as much and maybe are a bit more nervous about going somewhere new and also volunteering in that place, they they might get marketed to and sold a particular product that I we people in the travel industry consider volunteerism. So it's less you helping someone and more you paying for an experience that you wouldn't usually get. So an example of volunteerism would be in South Africa, I saw a lot of people who had signed up for a, a volunteer experience where they got to help take care of lion cubs um, and similar experiences like that. For me, that's a big red flag. If you're working with any wild animal that you usually wouldn't be able to interact with unless you had some you know, crazy degree or you've worked in the field for a very long time, that's, that's not you helping the animal. That's just you paying to play and pet an animal. So that's a big red flag for me. Um, a positive would be to look for local people who are running the show. So people who come from the community actually know what's best for their people and what their needs are. So, um, I think I wrote once about like, if I create, if I decided, you know, I've been to Ecuador and I, I think I know what they need. So I'm going to create this organization to help them. Um, it's probably not going to be the best thing for them. So I always look for, you know, this guy, he's from this neighborhood and he knows what his people needs. And that's the kind of person that I want to work for and support. And, you know, if I am having to pay any money at all, it should only be for my food and accommodation. So if it's running into the thousands, that's another red flag that you should be looking out for. Uh, probably a reasonable amount that you should pay is something like a hundred, maybe 200 a week, depending on where you're volunteering, but nothing more than that. Okay. And it's, so it sounds like the best opportunities or the opportunities to do most good is with the grassroots organizations. Yeah, that's right. Um, so grassroots for me is, again, looking for people who are on the ground rather than through a third party or a middleman who wants to charge you um, for things that might seem like they could be a, a really good benefit, and they probably are, but you can also find those things once you get there. So a good example is there's some popular volunteer opportunities um, that will charge you two, $3,000 for two weeks, and they'll include insurance, and they'll include transportation from the airport to the 
the place that you're living, uh, all of those things, especially if you're volunteering in a cheaper country, which is usually the countries that need the most help, they don't cost that much money. So you don't need to be paying thousands of dollars to help people on the ground. That's why I think grassroots volunteer opportunities are the best. Are there any specific websites or organizations that you've you would recommend or have had good experiences with? Yes. So my favorite website is called grassrootsvolunteering.org. And it's run by a travel blogger. She started it. The idea started in about 2008. um, And she has this great vetting process that uh, she's put in place. Things like you can't, she won't recommend any opportunities working with kids for less than three months. Stuff like that, that other organizations would happily encourage you to, you know, work in an orphanage for a week, which doesn't really help the kids at all. Um, And a lot of people think it has a negative effect. Another one that I would recommend if you're into sustainable, responsible, eco-type traveling is called greenvolunteers.com. And they just focus on opportunities um, for for people who want to work with the environment or animals in a more responsible way. Those are really great tips, Crystal. Thank you. What about people who might want to do something a little bit more luxurious, snag a good um, two weeks of luxury? What websites would you recommend for them? Selloffvacations.com. They do um, package deals. And do you know about this one? No, I don't. No? Yeah. They do package deals. And um, because I found out about it because my family who live here in Canada they love staying at all inclusives. And I'm always like, how can you afford it? They're so expensive. But um, my cousin told me about this website where they even have like last minute deals. Um, and for people who just want, you know, they want their flights taken care of, their accommodation taken care of, um, even food and drinks if you stay at an all inclusive, but they also have regular hotels as well. Um, and even sometimes they include transport to and from the airport. So that's that's a really cool website that I just found, and I can't wait to to book something for it and have a bit of a luxury vacation myself. Very exciting. <laughs> What's the best travel deal you've snagged? It's probably the one to Paris. So the airfare that I I'm go I got for Paris in November is was for 110 US dollars return from Toronto to Paris. That's definitely the best deal I've ever found. Do you have a favorite airline? I like uh, coming from Australia. I really love Qantas um, for for silly reasons. Like they they come around and hand out ice creams, or they have really great hot chocolate, um, and they also have a a little bar that you can go and serve yourself. And I'm I just love free things. So you know I'll get up in the middle of flight and just go and help myself to cookies, and and that's why I love them. They have great service as well. But um, it might be a silly reason to love an airline, but Qantas is pretty great. No, it's really, um, it's the little things, I think, that when people over, there used to be an airline, maybe it was called Midwestern Airline, I think it's since become Frontier, but they used to give um, baked cookies toward the end of the flight. And people would fly with them just so they could get a cookie. (laughs) It just seems crazy because, you know, you can get a cookie anywhere, but it's just that special, that extra special treat. Uh, yeah, they're taking care of you. Yeah. I would say my favorite right now is Norwegian. I flew from Scotland this summer to Providence, Rhode Island, which is near where my parents live. And I think one way it was 199 or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, there are some deals still to be had. And they treat you well. It's 
as well. I think I was really surprised there's like in-flight entertainment and you can buy food if you want to. And so, yeah, that's my recommendation. Thank you. <laughs> what other have, travel hacks do you have? Travel hacks. Okay. So my favorite tip um, is to consider traveling in the shoulder season. Um, so usually with most locations, they'll have high season and they'll have a low season. And then there's this little known season called the shoulder season, which is in, in between those two seasons. So um, usually it's May and November are considered the shoulder seasons. Um, but different destinations will have their own special shoulder seasons depending on the weather and when most people go there. So, for example, um, I know in Costa Rica, there's seasons just for going to see turtles. So if you want to see the turtles hatching or the turtles popping out of the ground, then they have their own special seasons as well. So um, shoulder season, like, for example, the trip I have in Paris in November, um, that's considered a shoulder season because summer's over, the beautiful fall weather is kind of, you know, disintegrating and it's starting to get cold, um, but it's not their high season of Christmas yet. So when people are going to the Christmas markets and they want to, you know, experience snow and a white Christmas, but in November, it's still, it's not that cold yet. And the Christmas markets actually start mid-November. So you get to go to the Christmas markets without all of the crowds in the markets. Um, you can also, if you plan it well enough, you can go and see the sites that are more indoor. So Paris is chock full of museums, and that's going to be my itinerary when I'm there. So the cold isn't really going to affect me too much. But the prices of the accommodation are about a third cheaper in the shoulder season. So you get the advantage of less crowds and cheaper accommodation. That is really great advice and really um, good to know about the Christmas markets as well. I think like similarly to Oktoberfest in Germany, people think it's all in October, but the bulk of it is in September. So I think it pays to like figure out what's going on when. How do you do your research when you find it to find activities or what you want to do once you get somewhere? So usually I will... I guess an, another kind of little travel hack that I have is I would try and consider alternative uh, activities. So are there things that I can do that are not going to cost me as much as the the big ticket item? So um, a good one in New York is I know that the, the Met um, has a suggested admission price and people don't realize that you can actually get in for just a dollar. So the, the minimum admission is a dollar. And that's what I pay every time I go there. I'm like, not ashamed at all. Here's your dollar. I'm going to visit your museum. Um, but most people will just pay the suggested donation price. So if you do a little bit of research, you can find out some of those awesome experiences that you can have for a cheaper price. Um, I guess a lot of people would know that you can visit some museums in particular cities uh, on certain dates throughout the month. So maybe the first Sunday of the month, it's free, stuff like that. So when I'm going, I try and plan around um, what are the best experiences that I can have, but for a lower price. And do you use TripAdvisor for that as well to figure out what a city offers? TripAdvisor is good, but I like to I like to try and get more advice from locals. So I will read travel blogs, which are always a good resource because you know that they're probably more current as well. So guidebooks 
are, you know, so 10 years ago, now people are reading travel blogs because I can, I can read what you did, you know, yesterday where you were. And I know that the information is super current. Another good um, option is Facebook groups for expats. So I'm not afraid to sign up for a Facebook group. So for example, the, uh, I volunteered once last year in Oaxaca, Mexico, and I knew I was looking for a grassroots opportunity. So I jumped into the expats from Mexico Facebook group and I was like, Hey guys, come in a visit. Do you guys know of any opportunities? And I would do a similar thing if I want to find out what's happening in that area. So, you know, do you know of any cool local opportunities, maybe some little festivals that they wouldn't have posted on the big tourism websites, stuff like that. I think that's a great way to meet people too, if you want to meet people once you're on the ground, is meet up with the expats that, that are already living there. Do you ever do that? Yeah, I love, I love meeting other expats because they, they have a unique perspective on where, where they're living. They haven't lived there their whole lives. Um, and things that maybe someone who was born somewhere would take for granted. So they wouldn't automatically think, oh, this is an awesome thing that you would care about. But an expat, maybe they've only been living there for a few years and they have a fresh take on it. Another good option to meet locals, since you mentioned it, is I actually like using Tinder when I travel somewhere new. Uh, I put in my bio, I'm very clear. I just say, I'm visiting. I'm not looking for any romantic relationships, but I would love to meet people and see the city through your eyes. I put something like that. And it's a great way for me to meet people. I guess it's usually guys, but um, they are often very keen to show me around and I get to see places that most people wouldn't get to see. That is a really great tip that I think most people probably wouldn't have known of or taken advantage of in that way. So it's good to hear that you have had success trying that out. Um, I have a few more final, like a fire round of some final travel tips that I'd love to ask you, Crystal. Okay. Um, some things that are important that I think a lot of people forget about when they're planning big trips. So number one, what do you do for travel insurance? I use World Nomads. They are very flexible. So I'm always in and out. I don't know where I'm going to be. Um, but with World, World Nomads, I can kind of just start a policy and a policy as I need to. So they're super flexible. Um, for cell phone plan. Do you have one that you always use that gives you international flexibility? I I tend to buy local SIM cards when I travel. So again, I'll I'll research what are the best options. Sometimes it's harder than others. Um, some countries are harder than other countries, and some countries are ridiculously expensive. Canada is a good example. Um, I'm paying about fifty dollars a month for two gigabytes, um, but some places are super cheap, and I often find it's the best option to get a local SIM card. It's easier, and I don't have to figure out, will this work in this place, and um, I just know it'll work, and I'll be able to be contacted. What are your top three travel apps that you couldn't live without? So uh, my favorite is, I couldn't live without my currency converter. I, I guess it's just... It, when you're traveling to so many different places, it's hard for you to just be like, okay, this is one for $5 or whatever. But with my currency converter, I can just quickly go, how much is this? Because I'm never going to remember. I love WhatsApp. It's a good way to stay in touch with new people that you meet around the world um, and without having to give out your Facebook details, especially if you're not a big fan of Facebook. 
And um, Google Maps is my 100% go-to. I'm all, I, I guess I'm probably too addicted to it and I don't get lost enough, but I love that you can download the maps offline and it gives you directions. So they've gotten a lot better than they used to be. Yeah, that's actually the reason I bought a smartphone to begin with. I think I was, <laughs> I held off as long as I could because I knew I would become addicted as soon as I got it. But yeah, that was eventually uh, the tipping point for me. I, I love Google Maps. Do you know what? It's like, it's crazy. I remember I was in the Dominican Republic a couple years ago. And in in the DR, the public transport is, is not the best. And you usually have to take a motorcycle taxi. So I remember one time I was getting from, I was visiting somewhere and I took this motorcycle taxi, told him where I was going. He's like, okay, that's fine. And halfway there, he's like, I don't really know where I'm going. And I pulled out my phone, put in the address. And I, I was directing this local from the DR on Google Maps. It's just, it's such a crazy world to me. That is a crazy world. I'm glad it worked <laughs> out. But I think it can increase your comfort level with this city. I confess that... I love Paris, but it used to intimidate me a lot, like less so the more I go. Uh, but I think having the mapping function gave me a lot more comfort where I knew where I was going. I didn't have to awkwardly ask somebody for directions and get nervous about my English or lack of French. So <laughs> it's been for me, it's definitely opened like opened things up for me. Yeah. And you can still get lost. But, you know, when you're ready to be found, just Use Google Maps. Yes, yes, exactly. Well put. <laughs> How do you entertain yourself on a long plane ride or bus bus ride? So I actually love podcasts. I consume maybe about oh god, like ten hours of podcasts a week. Um, they're they're really good for entertainment, and also you can learn stuff from it. One of my favorite podcasts is called Science Versus. Um, and it's just, they're just such a great way to keep entertained when in an otherwise terribly boring situation. Um, and also I read a lot of books, so I have a Kindle now. I used to travel with books, but it eventually I had to go to a Kindle because it just didn't make sense. You, I currently have maybe about 300 books on there and I know I'll never run out of a book. Same, same. I used to love paper and say I would never give it up, but it doesn't make any sense when you're traveling around or moving to different countries a lot. Now we can, yeah, we can carry a library with us everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how many, like how many books we used to have to carry. And I remember having to rely on book exchanges. Do you remember book exchanges? Is that like take a book, leave a book when you're in a yeah. hostel or some other place? And you'd always end up with just terrible, trashy romance novel. There was never anything good in them. <laughs> Still a beautiful idea, though. Still a beautiful yeah. idea. And also, if you're riding around on the subway, I guess it, it is nice to like see somebody's book cover and open up a conversation <laughs> that way. Like, oh, I love that yeah. book. I read that book. But for logistics, yes, ebooks make a lot more sense. Yeah, someone should invent one where you can have the cover of your book on the back. Maybe something like that. I agree. So then we can still like be nosy and yeah. <laughs> start up conversations. Yes. Unless you don't want someone to see what you're reading. Options. Should be optional. Need options. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Um, so you're a vegetarian. I love this because I don't meet that many vegetarian travelers. I would love to hear some of your travel advice. Like, Have you come across like a resort or something that c caters specifically to vegetarians? 
so I, okay, so my, my favorite country for vegetarians is Mexico. It's really easy to eat there. As long as you eat cheese, you'll be 100% fine. Um, the food is delicious, and I eat so well when I'm in Mexico. I always put on weight when I get back. Um, there's this resort that my sister actually got married at in Mexico called uh, Sandos Eco Resort on the Mayan Riviera. And they have a vegan restaurant in their resort. So um, when we heard about that, we and my sister was getting married. So we contacted them and said, you know, will will, will the, the vegan chef be able to cater the wedding? And and so that was a really, really awesome opportunity for us to have like a full vegan wedding in Mexico. Um, she never thought she would get something like that. That really surprises me because when I think of Mexico, I think of a lot of um, I think of a lot of meat. What are some of your favorite dishes? So there's this dish called, it's it's like a soup called pozole, and it can have meat in it, but it's really easy to make it vegetarian. Um, and it's great. To, it's very nutritious because it comes with like their big chunky corn. So, and lots and lots of vegetables, really yummy. Otherwise, getting things like um, quesadillas on the streets. There's a dish called torta, which is basically just a sandwich, and you can get lots of different toppings on it. Um, so in Mexico, they have different types of cheese that's specific to each different state. In Oaxaca, they have Oaxaca cheese, which is really famous. And every time I go there, I'm, I'm just consuming too much, too much Oaxaca cheese. But yeah, they, if you're into cheese, Mexico, Mexico is a good option. If you're fully vegan, probably not so much. It'll be a little bit more difficult. Well, that sounds delicious. Uh, have you kept up your Spanish? Yes, I try and go back to a Spanish speaking place at least once a year. And um, one of the podcasts I listen to is in Spanish. I don't, I don't understand everything that's going on, but <laughs> yeah, I try and I try and keep up with it. It's it's a good, I guess it's a good skill, you know, when you you learn something, you don't want to let let it go. Definitely, yeah. If I do the same with Italian, I like to watch TV shows in Italian and keep things up that way. And then, of course, travel to Italy as often as I can. Um, Italy is one of my dreams. I think I would just eat every. My vacation will revolve around eating. Have you been to Italy? Not yet. Crystal, we're going. <laughs> we are going. I'm going to show you around. <laughs> um, I want pizza. I want ice cream. I want everything. I will take you to the best places. Oh. It's really hard to go wrong, honestly. You can uh, put solo travel on hold for a second and I'll, <laughs> I'll show you around. Okay, we'll just look out for some good cheap airfares. Yes. Um Speaking of solo travel, what's like your top resource for solo travelers? So I, I guess I've, I've pan picked a few bloggers that I like who are also solo travelers and I find them inspirational. I know that, um, I, I've been traveling for 12 years. I, I kind of, I have the hang of it, but there are still some countries that I was nervous about visiting. So I went to India this year and I was terrified because they don't have the best press for, for solo females. And I read a lot of blogs about other women who had been there by themselves and it gave me a lot more confidence. So I think travel blogs are a really good way to go. Finding, finding the people who speak to you and um, seeking them for advice. And bloggers are just regular people, rare regular people. So um, they're always willing to have a conversation about certain places and, um, and give you advice. Another great resource that's specifically for solo travelers is called Solo Traveler, Solo Travel World. 
Um, and it's a website just dedicated to solo travel. They also post really good deals for solo travelers if you want to take tours, um, which I really love because uh, I, haven't, I haven't really done a tour before, but I know that sometimes you get charged a supplement if you want to go on the tour by yourself. So they post and work with tour companies now to actually find great deals for people who are traveling by themselves so you don't have to pay more. So that's a great resource. That is a really great tip. Um, well, thank you for sharing all of these ideas. This is such a great resource. Um, I will be linking to all of your suggestions on the blog. I'll be pointing back to your blog, Tofu Traveler. Really great read. Um, where can people find out more about you? So you can check out my website. That's where I try and post all of my good travel advice um, that I have in my head. It's tofutraveler.com. And I also am on my Instagram a lot. I post some of my best pictures on my Instagram, but probably my favorite thing to do now is use Instagram stories like crazy. So I do, a, I try and show my followers about the place that I'm in because even though like right now I'm just, um, I'm pet sitting in this small suburb in Toronto, there's nothing fun around me, but I love kind of showing the neighborhood because it could be different for someone who lives in Norway, you know? I'm in Toronto, they're in Norway, two totally different things. And um, I try and highlight more behind the scenes stuff. So, you know, this is what a hostel's like. So when I'm in Paris, I'll be showing, you know, this is the hostel that I'm staying in. This is what it's like. These are the people that you might meet. I do many interviews with people. Um, so I love Instagram stories. So you, that's a definitely a great place to follow me on. And I'm one of your followers. And yes, I can agree. <laughs> I love your stories. They're so in depth. I really like the detail that you put into all of your posts and the history that you give. So definitely follow Crystal. What else is keeping you busy <laughs> in Canada before we go? So right now I'm uh, kind of in a bit of a just a hiatus period. So I don't have any travels planned for the next six weeks. Um, so I'm busy working on my website. I'm doing some freelance stuff. And I'm working with a few brands to help them build up their Instagram pages as well. So I'm just busy working, nothing super fun. Um, but it's, it's really important for me to do this stuff now so that I don't, when I am actually traveling, I don't have to be super stressed about it. Right. So you take on clients during your off time. And then when you're traveling, you can really be in it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you again, Crystal. Thank you for having me. What a fantastic conversation. You'll find a blog post with all these great tips to save money while seeing more of the world at postcardacademy.co slash save. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon and have a beautiful week wherever you are. Hey, let's continue the conversation. Head on over to my blog on Substack for more content on how to thrive through better communication, stoicism, and global exploration. That is right. Blogging is cool again over on the Substack platform. There you can chat with me in the comments, and I have plenty of bonuses for paid subscribers, or you can just read for free. So click the link in the episode notes to access the Substack Live Without Borders.